Yeah, well, we're definitely seeing women become more and more engaged with their finances and, and specifically in that young, younger generation, we are seeing women perhaps leading the finances in their firm, yeah. making uh, their decisions at home within their family. Uh, and also uh, a topic we touched on, thinking about values-based investing. We see younger generations focused on that. And so we really try to think about where we're, we're heading and how can we support women and their families who are in this different segment of, of generation and maybe thinking about wealth a little bit differently than, than other generations. Um, and, and also the, the wealth transfer, you know, making sure that uh, the multi-generational families that, that they're talking, uh, because it's so important to have those conversations at the right time and make sure there's an engagement there. And we're starting to see more of that. Um, it's a pretty critical time. You know, we talked about mm -hmm. the statistic about this, you know, nearly 70 million in, in wealth transfer expected to happen. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast powered by Arrowroot Family Office that's at the intersection of accounting, wealth management, behavioral finance, technology, and entrepreneurship. We help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice by going beyond the numbers as we learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to discover the secret to their success. A podcast that highlights everything from the transformative power of AI to embracing the human-first approach of behavioral finance to help you understand the psychological and emotional relationships to money and meaning. Here is your host, Rory Henry, director at Arrowroot Family Office and author of Holistic Guide to Wealth Management. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm again joined by Julie Johnson. Julie, how are we doing today? Hello. Hello, hello. Well, I have a another great guest joining us today. Uh, she is the Senior Investment Portfolio Strategist uh, supporting Schwab Asset Management. Uh, she educates the media sales channels on Schwab's income and target date investing solutions across the equity and fixed income spectrum. She also supports Schwab's thematic strategies through investor education and thought leadership. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Inga Rockwald. Inga, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yes, we're here to talk about women in investing. So let me set the table here. Uh, women are controlling approximately 51% of the personal wealth in the U.S. and make up 80% of the consumer spending decisions. Julie's talked about on this show. By 2030, American women are expected to control some $30 trillion in investable assets. Um, we talked about on our pre-recording here that because of this evolution, there's data that suggests that women are still less involved than men in both the finances and investing aspects. Can you kind of start us off here and talk about what's behind that? Yeah, it's, I think the statistics are really interesting and you just pointed out a few of them, um, just the immense financial yeah. responsibility and oversight that women have as a group, um, which is not getting smaller, right? It's yeah. getting bigger, it's expected right. to grow. Uh, but women still do have some catching up to do in, in several areas compared to men. And I say all this as a, you know, with the caveat that, right, not all women are the same. It's not a monolithic group. So I, I but I'll share some statistics that we do see that in general, data sort of tells us that 
women can be a little bit less confident when it comes mm -hmm. to having enough money to live in comfortably in retirement, for example, or they may feel very overwhelmed by ways to invest money. There's a lot to that. Um, and certainly confidence is another part. Yeah. We do see women often less confident with financial, whether it's subjects or accounts, things like that than men. So again, not always the case, but we do see some of that happening relative to men. And so that's where we want to think about bridging the gap. Yeah. Now, are there any specific traits that women perhaps possess that are that are really driving this? Yeah, we do see some interesting behavioral, I think, tendencies. Again, looking at some of the data out there, which may not come as a surprise. For example, we'll see women looking at investing as a life skill. Men yeah. may look at it as a competition. Um, <laughs> women may be more risk averse or mm -hmm. more focused on not losing money, whereas men may be a little bit more proactive and focused on making money. So we do see some of those traits. And again, something I mentioned earlier, a little bit more self-doubting among women. Um, maybe men are a little bit more overconfident or a little bit yeah. more comfortable. Again, these aren't hard and fast tendencies, and fast, yeah. but we do see some differences that can lead to certainly differences among uh, investing and understanding. Yeah. I mean, men do have okay. a higher risk tolerance. Tolerance, You know, they seem to in be, general. yeah, general generalized once again and you know we we seem to be more overconfident but that leads to more trading um and sometimes lower returns as the data is showing so you know having that different mindset is actually beneficial um sometimes when it comes to investing here Inga. absolutely in fact it's uh we we do see some of those traits where women do tend to look at investing again as a life skill so yeah. Longer term, longer holding periods. These are sort of your clients that you you ideally want to have <laughs> who are investing through the markets, right? Uh, we always say here about you know time in the markets is more important uh, yeah. than timing, timing. markets. Yeah. So yes, a lot of those traits can certainly be beneficial from a long term investment perspective. And I think one of the things that you are you're saying in such a perfect way, Inga, is the fact that we as advisors, financial professionals need to be very, very careful never to make assumptions about at any one, you know, gender, race, um, age, you know, background, but to make sure that we're always doing the discovery and asking the questions and being curious and, you know, asking about their past with money and all of those things so that we can figure out who they are um, as an individual and and but I I am a statistician as well, and I, I love the statistics. But we I have found myself in trouble sometimes where I'm like, oh, I better back up and ask some questions mm -hmm. as opposed to making assumptions. Yes, yeah. yeah. go ahead, Jenga. No, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of questions, I mean, is there some unconscious biases potentially taking place on on the advisor side that you may want? To, to point out here and then we need to be cognizant about? Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. 
Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Yeah, it's a fair question. I think unconscious bias is this topic we hear about where I think unfortunately there's an implication that you're a bad person and right. you have them or, um, but that's not the case. It's, it's pretty common. I think we all have them to some degree or another in different areas. And the ones we do see, particularly as it relates to women can be things like women generally know less than men when it comes to financial topics, perhaps they need financial information to be simplified or explained slowly, that sort of thing. Um, you know, there can be other things, for example, in an assumption of wealth, maybe that mm. her wealth was inherited, not that it came from, from her own, uh, you know, work and that sort of thing. So those are some of the things we generally see. And, is, you know, particularly with the younger generation, right, we're seeing more women who are you know, running their own um, investment portfolios. They may be the sole breadwinner in their family. So you're seeing this shift, this paradigm shift when it comes to investments and understanding of financial concepts. So a lot of those biases, biases I think need to be reconsidered and re-explained. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, it is about the individual, not mm. assuming that those things are the case, but really sitting down with the client and understanding who is this person? What do they know? What yeah. do they maybe need help with? And really looking at that individually. One thing that I found too is, is um, even though people may seem like they understand the jargon and, you know, the, the, higher level talk that some advisors bring into the conversation. Some of them actually really don't men and women they, and they don't want to look stupid by asking the yeah. questions. Right. So I think as a, as a general rule, it's smart. And I believe you're saying the same thing. It's very, very smart for us to match and even just talk to them like human beings, right. Be relatable don't throw a bunch of jargon at them and just make sure that, that we're on an even playing field, that they feel safe and comfortable with the conversations that we ask, you know, is this making sense? And even give them permission, um, I've found is, is a great way to say, hey, if I'm ever using terminology that is just not something that you're familiar with, please stop me because otherwise I won't know. And just inviting them to stop you to ask questions and, and get them really comfortable with sort of that reciprocal dialogue. Yeah, 100%. And I, I also think thinking about where where is a woman in her, her generation, for example, we mm. see some generational distinctions there. Um, where you know, maybe she this woman lost her spouse. So where is she just in her personal life? So there's all of these sorts of things behind just the the person coming in, right, to see right. you and talk about a portfolio yeah. or a retirement portfolio, Absolutely. that sort of thing that you really need to think about holistically. Yeah. What's going on with their family, if they have family, couldn't agree more. Yeah, we talk about, you know, advising beyond the numbers 
in the practice here, you know, I'm big into behavioral finance and that human first approach, Inga, is really helping uncover values and looking at the many dimensions of our well-being. You know, many times uh, we go through a values-based exercise um, to start aligning their choices with what they value most. Can you kind of talk about that approach to really go outside maybe the 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 figures, the the plans, the pie charts, and really helping uh, people vocalize and put pen to paper about what they value most? Yeah, and you've touched on this, uh, I think, at a high level. Really, it's about that connection, thinking about, and, and this goes both ways. I think yeah. you know, we get this question a lot, what should women be asking their advisor, but also what should the advisor, right, be asking the, the end client? And so I, I say this again for, for both sides is think about, you know, holistically, what's motivating you to talk about your financial health today? Um, what do you think about when, you know, money and investing come to mind? You know, for some that may be, oh, I think about stress and that's terrible. Or, or I, hey, I like to watch this show or read this periodical, right? It, these things, these questions start to form a more holistic approach of who this person is. Um, thinking about things like who are the most important people in your financial decision-making? Um, you know, how do you want to achieve your goals? What are your financial goals? Um, how would you like to interact with me? You know, mm -hmm. what does that partnership look like yeah, to you right. in an ideal wow, way, right? Really um, you know, would you want to just be called and get the portfolio update? Or should we meet with your whole family, for example? Do you have children who are maybe inheriting some wealth eventually? Mm -hmm. Should we bring them into the mix? So all of these things, again, I think in reinforcing that point that you you both have made so, so well is that it is about the whole person and just making sure you ask those connecting questions. But also on the flip side, as a woman client coming into the practice, making sure your advisors are thinking about these things and that you're having that conversation with them. Yeah. And I think too, reemphasizing in the mindset of the financial professional that these things are, are different, right? They're not better mm -hmm. or worse, right or wrong. It, it's just simply different. And so we need to do our due diligence to make sure that we're, again, making the client and or prospect feel super comfortable, um, you know, safe, and that we have their best interests at heart for sure. Yeah. Speaking of comfortable and safe, Ingo, you know, what are maybe some ways that if women feel overwhelmed or um, you know, have anxiety when it comes to investing in their finances, what's some like best first steps that you can, you know, uh, speak to them about, about getting involved in investing or within their finances? Yeah, I think first and foremost, and I'd say this goes for anyone who's who's overwhelmed by financial content, uh, is no, you're not alone. It is right. a field of, as you know, terminology and jargon, and and there's there's so much there, and it's it's completely okay to say, hey, where do I start? What do I do? Um, I think on the positive side, there are a number of resources I know. Here at our firm, for example, we have a financial literacy education site. Um, a lot of investment firms do have uh, different types of education. Yeah. 
Your advisor can provide that education for you too. There are all kinds of good basic savings, finance, and investing resources out there. And I think those are a good place to start, just so you're not starting from zero. Um, but then, you know, you want to, you know, leverage your, again, your advisor, your community, you know, work together. And this is where I think advisors can then be mm -hmm. such a tremendous resource, right? You can think about content, um, for example, develop content specifically for women, I, I think is such a great way to, to, to sort of attract and help educate women investors. Hosting a forum, for example, or an affinity group where you know women can come in and get that financial education and insight. So, you know, I think there are a number of different ways we can go about really remedying that issue and being part of the solution with women clients. I love that so much. And I, I wanted to throw in a statistic that I get asked a lot. I would imagine you probably get asked this a lot too, uh, Inga, is our women investors, is it their proclivity to be drawn to work with female advisors? And the statistics show that not necessarily. Yeah. It's the human advisor, right? You know, male or female or, you know, whatever gender. Uh, it is the person that draws them in or not, which so for, for uh, men listening, um, don't, don't get uh, disheartened by these statistics because you've got just as much uh, chance and opportunity here. It's just really connecting with the people. Yeah, so. I, I, that's a terrific point and absolutely true. It, there is an assumption out there that uh, women may want to work with other women advisors. And, and sometimes that is true. Certainly that can be the sure. case, but a lot of times it's not. And, and exactly, we've seen similar data that says it's, it really is more about the person. Is this person, am I connecting with this person? Do I find this person trustworthy, right? Male or female, yeah. all of those things are, are incredibly important and, and really much more important than the gender of, of the advisor. So yeah, I think for advisors looking to really understand this better and build their base, you know, don't feel like you have to have uh, you know, hire a whole new slew of advisors who are women in order to attract women. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, you can build a diverse firm and really be able to address a large set of clients, uh, you know, across a, a diversity spectrum. Yeah. I, go ahead, Julie. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about maybe the, the longer life expectancy here. And in some ways that women might need to be more aggressive in planning for their future. Can you talk about, I mean, because women are outliving men. Yeah, I, I think it always comes down to a financial plan. Uh, I know at our firm, that is a, a really important focus. And, you know, we talked a lot about understanding the individual, for example, are you a joint head of household? Are you a widow? Are you a single head of household? Is this a multi-generational family? I mean, these are some pretty different circumstances, right? <laughs> uh, right? That, that a woman can find herself in and that an advisor is, is working with. So I think first and foremost, really understanding what are the needs based on the woman's particular financial family situation. 
Um, and then really partnering on a financial plan mm -hmm. that fits that particular segment. Again, it could be a generational issue. You could have some younger children involved who are trying to meet the middle. You know, maybe that plan has to be sort of holistic across generations. And so, uh, you know, it always just goes back to that holistic approach yeah. and really segmenting your client base according to their specific need. And then, you know, taking the investment process there thoughtfully and, and very specific to that individual. Yeah. Now, speaking of generational conversations that we're having, you know, can you talk about maybe how we can navigate uh, those conversations uh, between generations and we're dealing with the, the great wealth transfer? Can you talk about how you could promote that within the, the family setting I've talked to a number of thought leaders on the podcast and really promoting having those discussions at a younger age with kids mm -hmm. um, and promoting that within the, within the family uh, setting there. Yeah, the wealth transfer is is fairly large, as you probably know, and you know the data suggests that some 70 trillion will filter down over the next 25 years, which is immense, you know, certainly starting with the baby boomer generation and, um, you know, off to sort of Gen X, et cetera. And so it's a really important segment of, of clients to, to pay attention to. And to your point, you're going to have multi-generational individuals at, you know, sort of sitting at the table together. And so, for example, we see with younger investors, more of a propensity toward values-based investing and things like philanthropy, using money for longer-term good. Um, you know, baby boomers have tend to, again, not a hard and fast, but tend to have a different view on money, um, less inclined to look at values-based investing. Um, and so you sometimes you have these challenges that perhaps need to be worked out within generations. And I think one way to address that is, uh, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, is bringing those families together. It's a way to work with the family from a holistic perspective and allow different generations to come together and have those financial conversations with the advisor. And so you get that perspective. The advisor can be there to be sort of a confidant and, you know, advise on certain financial components at play here and potentially help, you know, to come to a meet in the middle with some of these issues. So it's a big focus for sure for the next uh, several decades. Yeah. Speaking I of the next, such, go ahead. Julie. Sorry, Marie. <laughs> okay. I think that's such an important point, Inga, that you were talking about is from as meeting in the middle and, and, so many of the conversations that I have, and I'm sure you do too, and I'd love to hear more about uh, things that have been successful for you and the advisors that you work with, bringing the younger generations to the table is um, enabling and, and molding the mindset of all that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing, right? They can, mm -hmm. uh, people can with their wealth, have a piece going through, going to philanthropy, excuse me, philanthropy, or a piece going through, you know, to the environment. So yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, one way or the other, black and white. It can be, to your point, meet in the middle. I would love to hear um, successful solutions that you and the advisors that you work with have had in, in bringing the younger generations into conversations. I would love to hear about that. 
Yeah, we've we've done that a few times. And I think from uh, I, I know you talked about behavioral finance. That's another aspect where I think, you know, bringing those generations together can be really interesting. And we've actually had events where we've brought generations together to talk about behavioral finance differences. You know, so what are some of the tendencies of a Gen X, for example, versus uh, a Gen Z? How do we work through those? Also things like talking about ESG investing. You know, we do see younger investors very interested in, in environmental, social, and governance issues. And we see the older generation really not, not so focused on that. And so bringing them together, and I think being an education partner, first and foremost, is where we found success in, in kind of moving forward and getting closer to that meet in the middle that is, is, is ideal, right? Um, explaining what certain types of investments are, being that educator, um, and allowing the generations to see where maybe there's a disconnect. You know, we, you know, obviously with older generations, maybe they're more risk averse or there's a more concern about loss aversion. You know, so how do we talk about that? So we talk about a lot of the behavioral finance uh, components that go into some of the generational issues. So it can really be a tremendous opportunity to be an educator and offer insight into how that works to then really meet that end goal of having these generations talk through their issues, perhaps in a more neutral manner, as opposed yes. to with some of the emotions so and, and kind of charged kind of conversation that can go behind that. I love that. And just inviting curiosity and inviting different perspectives and encouraging all who are participating to be open to listening. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, just the open communication, the reciprocal respect to different perspectives. I love that. So good. Okay. Shifting topics a little bit here, Inga, uh, can you talk about onboarding? So the best way to onboard uh, women clients here. Yeah, I think continuing along the lines of what we've we've talked about, how do you onboard a woman client and in, in some of the the ways to helpfully, you know, hopefully weed out some of the unconscious bias that may come yeah. up. You know, thinking about things and these are very practical tips <laughs> I think really, you know, confirm for example how how does she or 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 the couple if if that's the case want to be contacted? Yeah, communication. Is it email, is it phone, is it, you know, those sorts of things. Confirm last name preferences. Mm. Uh, you know, we see, you know, more and more women these days may, these days may keep their maiden name, for example. Yeah. So something just to confirm and and make sure you, you know that sort of squared away. Um, if there's a salutation they prefer, um, I think also observing a couple's decision making process oh, yeah. can be very helpful, and just to sort of see who tends to do what, and then you know maybe. Uh, you know, maybe you see one, you know, part of the couple not participating as much. And so we kind of make this mental note, okay, I need to maybe include them more in, in our yes. conversation yeah. as we get onboarded. I, I definitely see that one come up a lot. Um, I think really as an extension of that, encouraging couples to attend check-ins together. Yes. Um, yes. I know that can be easier said than done. Um, I know sometimes you have one party who just doesn't want to deal with it and, you know, oh, she deals with that or he deals with that. But it's really important and helpful to do that together if, if the advisor can make that happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. I totally agree. 
Yeah. Um, you know, think about women's caregiving responsibilities, uh, perhaps, right? Maybe not scheduling meetings in the middle of the day. Maybe, you know, she's got some elder care responsibilities or, or uh, you know, other sorts of family responsibilities. So thinking about things like that, um, and certainly recent life transitions. I mean, that's yeah. always a big one, right? You don't want to deluge a client with paperwork when maybe she just lost her spouse, right? So yeah. Thinking about all of these things, I mean, it can be sort of standard and routine, but I think if you think about all of these things up front, it can really set you off on a, a good success. solid path. Yeah. And do you agree too that, so sometimes we, I, I think, um, sometimes we assume that we're supposed to know what the client, you know, if, if as an example, they just lost their spouse we assume that they're not going to want to deal with the paperwork or we make assumptions. Right. And again, rather than doing that, the clients love it when we ask, right? Yeah. You know, this, I, I want to be respectful and sensitive to what's going on for you. How can we best do this together? You know, having, just having that reciprocal dialogue again, um, and not being worried about looking stupid or looking whatever um, by asking the question, do you agree with that? Oh, completely. It's It goes back to that holistic approach. And really at the end of the day, right, you're, you're an advisor, but you're also a confidant. You know, there. this is a really important relationship. And Certainly the financial aspect is critical, but a lot of clients are going to need support through some pretty difficult times. It could be a divorce. It could be death of a spouse. It could be a, a big move, for example, or, or a shift in financial uh, health, for example. So there's a lot at play. And I think just checking in, hey, do you need anything? Um, and it doesn't have to be, hey, do you need yeah to review your portfolio today, yeah. right? It, it can sure. be anything. And I've seen advisors be really successful with this when they become almost that part of their community. They become yeah. that sort of ingrained component within their community where I've seen advisors go to their clients, you know, children's dance performance and or, you know, you see them in town and everyone recognizes them. And, and I think those are great examples of advisors who've really taken that holistic approach and, and they genuinely care, care. not yeah. doing it because, you know, they're checking the box on how yeah. I should work with clients, <laughs> right? They genuinely care. And, yeah. and that relationship is so important. And that's really what I think takes you, you know, really is so important in those difficult times that yeah. clients may be going through. Yeah, just I always... texting to check in, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, or, and it doesn't have to be in the bad times. It can be, Hey, how'd your, you know, how'd Joe's soccer game go last weekend? Or, you know, just stuff like <laughs> that. It's, I mean, it's so fun. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. yeah. That's where we go beyond the investment portfolio and, and really to the human. I always say on the show, Inga, that we're not only trusted advisors, we're transformational advisors. They share intimate details with us about their life, about their anxieties, their concerns, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. So we sit in a privilege 
positioned to really be that sounding board. And many times they just want to talk to somebody, right? And talk it out. And we have the ability to be that person to help them guide them through life transitions or just everyday concerns that they may be worried about. A lot of people in our audience are CPAs or financial advisors, and they deal with business owners who are going through the stresses of their business. And I always talk about uh, having the ability to really sit with them and listen and actively listen to their concerns. And then from there, we can then guide them uh, to provide them with some advice to hopefully put them in a better situation. Um, Can you talk about how maybe there's been a shift in the profession on really connecting with clients more empathetically? Yeah, em- empathy in general is so important across genders, and and women do tend to have more more empathy, and I think respond well to to that empathy being reciprocated. And so it goes back to what I I think you've mentioned, where having that approach with clients, where you're connecting with them and and really trying to understand the whole person is so critical. Uh, I'll give you an example. I think, you know, if you're just looking at the financial aspect and reviewing the portfolio, you might miss something really important. Perhaps the woman has a health issue or someone in her family has a health issue that they may need to save for. They may need some financial uh, you know, some financial capital set aside to manage that long term. Uh, maybe it's their long term care. You know, so there are some financial connections there with empathy. But I think if you don't, as an advisor, you know, incorporate empathy into your practice, you might miss some of those big important Critical. concepts because you're yes. just thinking about, oh, do you have enough to retire and and go take those trips or you know pay your monthly bill for XYZ, you know, and so it's really also sussing out what else might be behind a a lot of the the life issues happening there where you as the advisor can be so critical in helping them meet their their needs all really, I think, through empathy. Yeah. I have an example actually of a a client that I work with Um, recently. So they have a client at a husband and a wife and the husband has pancreatic cancer, but he was, he was in remission. So the advisor assumed he was still in remission. And um, I'm like, you know what, it's been a year since you had that discussion. Don't you think you should check in and ask and come to find out he's no longer in remission. And so needless to say, that completely changes the financial plan. And so if we're not, like you're saying, Inga, checking in and and asking not just once, but on an ongoing basis, you know, these super important questions um, and, and trying not to feel like we're being invasive, right? I mean, it's it's really our job to ask these questions and to know. And again, to do it in a very sincere, authentic way, we're here to support and to care and to plan for the unplanned and make sure you're taken care of and all of those things. It just being really proactive, like you're saying, is so critical. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the future here. I know we have a a topic here. What are you seeing as far as working with clients? Are you seeing a change 
it was there an inflection point during the pandemic inga can you talk about what's going on now and then what we're seeing what you're seeing here in the future yeah, well, we're definitely seeing women become more and more engaged with their finances and, and specifically in that young, younger generation, we are seeing women perhaps leading the finances in their firm, yeah. making uh, their decisions at home within their family, uh, and also uh, a topic we touched on thinking about values-based investing. We see younger generations focused on that. And so we really try to think about where we're, we're heading and how can we support women and their families who are in this different segment of, of generation and maybe thinking about wealth a little bit differently than, than other generations. Um, and, and also the, the wealth transfer, you know, making sure that uh, the multi-generational families that, that they're talking uh, because it's so important to have those conversations at the right time and make sure there's an engagement there. And we're starting to see more of that. Um, it's a pretty critical time. You know, we talked about mm -hmm. the statistic about this, you know, nearly 70 million in, in wealth transfer expected to happen in the you know coming decades. And so we are starting to see some of those conversations happening. And, and I think it's exciting because we're seeing women more and more involved in those decisions more and more engaged and interested in those decisions and, and really becoming a meaningful part of a financial advisory practice, um, which is great. You know, you see more and more of that partnership growing and, and expected to continue in the next several decades. Yeah. I just recently wrote an article uh, for Intuit called Gen Z and the soft saving phenomenon where they're not saving as much uh, for that distant retirement and they're living more for experiences today. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that that same type of attitude from the younger generation, Inga? Absolutely. And that's yeah. a, a great point. And, and that's exactly what I, I think a pivotal point about what an advisor is there to do. To do. Right? Make yeah. sure you can do those things. Um, right. You know, it's not about judging, uh, you know, one generation may say, oh, right. that's ridiculous. Exactly. You're flying off to Cancun. There's no reason for it. Um, yeah. you know, we We're do taking a, a sabbatical. Yeah, or taking time off of work or, uh, you know, spending time on a, a long uh, a trip to an interesting place. And so these are all changes and, and personal decisions that we're all going to face in the coming decades. And again, that's that's the point of that financial health and well-being is so that you can enjoy your, your life experiences and do these things and but make sure you have the savings and the financial soundness behind it so that you can move move forward. But yes, we're, we're definitely seeing some distinctions there. Yeah. Can you talk about the difference between traditional investing strategies and, and thematic strategies for our audience here? Sure. So traditional strategies are probably what you, you're familiar with looking at uh, investing day to day. So perhaps it's investing in a large cap equity index fund, for example, a fund that's tracking an index um, or things like that. What thematic investing does is it really looks at a, a specific pocket of perceived growth. So I'll give you an example. If a client is interested in electric vehicles and maybe thinks that that's an area of growth or something that they may want to spend more or, or expend more dollars in from an investment perspective. 
there are offerings out there that go into those those sorts of themes. So yep. themes can be number of different examples. It can be food themes. There can yeah. be renewable right. energy, artificial intelligence. Absolutely. All kinds of themes out there. And it's it's really a way to, to concentrate your investments a little bit more into those areas. And the way I also like to think about it is, you know, in, in traditional finance, uh, you have sectors, right? You have the consumer yes. sector, you have the energy sector. What thematic investing does is it's sort of sector agnostic. Yeah. It looks across <laughs> all of those constructs and finds those companies or those themes that a client may want to express in their portfolio. So that's another way of thinking about it. Yeah. Okay, Very great. Cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right. Any questions here, Inga, that we didn't ask that you want to share? Any I answers we covered everything that I, that I can, that I can good stop. Such good oh. stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good, good conversation. Yeah, Perspectives. Yeah. Love it. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Inga, if people want to learn more about Schwab or get a hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Sure. Uh, you can visit me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am uh, on there and my contact information is there as well. And you can also visit schwabassetmanagement.com for any information on our uh, on our strategies and firm. All right. I love it. I'll put that in the show notes here. Julie, thank you again for joining me. Thank um, you. It's another great episode. Uh, Inga, I appreciate it. Uh, we hope to have you back on again in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.